This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. You're tuned in to Tapped Out. Hosted by Brendan Tobin and Sean Levine. Only on the BetQL Network. An unbelievable night of fights on Saturday night. You've come to the right place to talk about it and make some money. The BetQL Network. Maybe you're checking us out on YouTube or the Odyssey app. It's tapped out. That's Brendan Tobin on the sports machine, Sean Levine. And BT, Islam knocked out Volkanovsky in round one. When it comes to Islam, man, turns out that he's that dude. Can anybody beat him? Uh, man, that's such a good question because, you know, you go and you look like that. It's interesting because, like, Alexander Volkanovsky kind of had a, a lot of the similar questions when it came to Max Holloway, right? Like, people were, like, talking about such a close rivalry and, uh, you know, people were, Max was the fan favorite and Max was the guy that everybody was looking at and being like, oh, he got robbed. He's still that guy. And Volkanovsky just had to go and, and cement it. And, you know, uh, ironically, the uh, the other thing that that exact thing happened to Volk in uh, in this fight with that taking that vicious vicious head kick. I mean, of all the ways, I figured he was going to lose, and never would have thought it was going to be losing like that. Um, and that's such a dangerous thing because we've not seen that happen to the only the same guy on, on that card with Kamara Usman. So, to answer your question on Islam, he you beat a guy like Alexander Volkanovsky like that, even though he's taking it on short notice. You know, the guy looks like he could be a wrecking machine for a while. His striking has definitely looked Im- impressive. Um, so this could be a this could be a rain for a little bit for Islam. Think about this resume, Brendan, that he I mean, you talk about beating Volkanovsky not once but twice, Charles Oliveira. He, he's putting some notches on there. Do you think now we can kind of come back around to the Khabib comparisons that we've heard the entire time and go, Yeah, maybe he is the next coming of Khabib? Yeah, I think the thing that's interesting with Islam is, you know, he's just doing it in such a different fashion. I feel like with Khabib, you know, we saw that absolute buzzsaw stuff uh, at the end, especially the Gaethje fight. But, you know, Islam on the big stage now doing what he did to uh, to Charles Oliveira in such easy fashion and then winning in such highlight real fashion this way against Volk, you know, he's almost got more... uh, I don't know, style to his wins than Khabib did, which was basically Yeah, let me cut you off you real up, quick though. Hold you up against oh, the cage and smash you. Hmm? Real quick though, the biggest difference is we've seen Islam almost lose. In our eyes, he did lose the first time around against Volkanovsky. Did we even mm-hmm. ever see Khabib lose a round? Um no, I mean like the closest we see maybe the one round against Connor, Connor and then the one, guillotine yeah. against Poirier. That's it. So, I mean, I think yeah. you look at the dominance in the way they wins. I agree with you. Maybe Islam's a little bit more exciting when it comes to total dominance. Like, if we say that Islam's in his prime right now, and we say Khabib was in his prime at the end there when he was mm-hmm. fighting Connor and Poirier and Gaethje and all those guys, I still think that Khabib is a notch above what Islam is right now. Not to say that he can't get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing. I've, I think Khabib's got the better resume, but like I think the thing that is interesting is they're very they're compared to each other, obviously because of their close relationship and train together. Um, but Islam's reign has just been different. Like he is going and finishing these guys in highlight fashion, where yeah, Khabib would usually drown you over five rounds. Maybe he'd eventually get you and choke you out. Um, but typically it was a slow death with Khabib, and that he would just smash on you for five rounds. That's what the 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 genius of him was. And I just feel like we always knew it was trip up against the cage, get on your back, pound you. That's usually how it would go 
with Islam, yeah, he's shown a little bit more uh, of a versatility to him. I'm not saying one's better or one's not. It's just it has it is what it is. Like that's that's how they've gone about it. The one thing that's gonna be interesting with Islam is in terms of all time great, could he ever pass Khabib? Like right now, you look at the same guys that are there, kind of at the top of that division. You know, those guys are now all in his prime, and Khabib is beating those guys. Like, now you're going to go beat Gaethje. Well, Khabib's already done that. He's done it in very dominant fashion. So could he do it better? I don't know. But that's that's the thing Islam's probably got to look out for is, you know, who are going to be his the, the guys that he's going to have rivalries with and gun for. Beat Oliveira again. That's it. I mean, if you beat Oliveira twice, and then if you beat – Alexander Volkanovsky twice. I mean, what are they going to say about you? As far as Volk goes, it looks like we're still going to see the matchup against Ilya Teporia. Does your opinion of Volkanovsky in that fight change at all based on what you saw on Saturday night? Um, No, I think the only thing that you could really say for Volk, first of all, I mean, look, both him and Usman taking the fights as quick as they did, like that's not easy. And it's not, it's pretty crazy. You don't see really in any other sports and combat sports, guys of, of that status and stature do that on short notice. It's Especially so on the same card, the same night. Yeah. They put in so much to these, uh, into these training camps and all this preparation for stuff. Yeah. Every once in a while, you'll have a, a Michael Bisbing off the couch, go there and do it. But you know, you're talking about these guys are maybe going up against, you know, two of the more dangerous fighters in the world, and they just did it. And so that speaks to me as far as Volkanovski is concerned. No, it, he doesn't slip too much in status for me. But, yeah, for right now, the rivalry is uh, is on the shelf. Like, it, it is the, – the circumstances are the circumstances. So I don't really know uh, – would I be against ever seeing them fight again? No, but I, I think that Volk even – he's just got the, uh, the temperament to know, like, I'm going to have to go – Rain over featherweight for a little bit, at least until Islam decides I'm done with 155. And for what it's worth, this should put Islam at the top of the pound for pound rankings now that John Jones is going to be out for a little while and that he clearly beat Alexander Volkanovsky. Brendan Tobin, sports machine, Sean Levine, talking a little fighting here on Tapped Out. Are you mentioned Usman? He fought Hamza Chemaev on Saturday night on short notice. Um, look, there were a lot of varying opinions of what the scorecard should have been. I think everybody agrees that in the first round, it wasn't even close. Hamzad came out. He ragdolled him. I thought it was a 10-8. I think most people thought that Usman won the second round. And we're going to bring producer Jake in here in just a minute because he's got a crazy thought on this fight himself. Before we get his thoughts, what did you think about the scorecards? Did you think it was right, the majority decision for Hamzad? Because I think it was. You know, the only thing I really have a problem with is the 10-8. I know that's a very popular opinion, and that's what, what the judges went with. I don't agree that it was a 10-8. He think had him on that, the ground the whole time. But that's my point, is like, who cares, dude? You had him on the ground the entire time looking for a submission. He wasn't smashing his face in. He did not dominate him uh, to the point of obliteration. And I just think that I have a problem in this sport that you have control of a guy. You don't successfully submit him and yet that equates to a 10-8, whereas a striker could go out there, knock a guy down twice, and he ain't getting a 10-8. I just have a problem with it in general. I know that that was probably going to be the way they go, but I think in a 10-8, you not only have to have the guy controlled, but you need to beat him down, and I don't feel like Hamzad did that. Now, I still think he very obviously won the round. I think he won the third round. I think he deserved the win, but I just thought that the 10-8, the I didn't get it. I knew that that was probably the way they were going to go. I just, I have, I've had this problem now for the longest with the sports on 10 eights in that it very heavily favors grapplers when grapplers don't successfully do anything once they get the takedown. Whereas you could be a striker, you could head kick somebody, knock them down, you could put a lot of damage, and they'll still, if a guy swung back at you, you won't get a 10 8. It's just, it's just, I'll say this. it's too weighted for grapplers. Most of the time, as fight fans, we all agree, oh, that was a 10 8. We, we, we know what a 10 8 looks like. It's hard to kind of put your finger on it and describe, but you know what a 10 8 is. I'm with you. That one was a very debatable 10 8, kind of like uh, Poirier McGregor in round one in there. I guess that would be their most recent fight. Like some people thought that was a 10 8. Anyway, let's get producer Jake in here because how did you score that fight, Hamzad versus Usman? 
So I was I was under some fire this week on on Twitter on X I whatever saw. you want to call it. Yeah, because uh, I, I scored the fight 30-26 for Hamzat. I gave Hamzat one, which was a 10-8, and then two and three, which were 10-9s. Um, I mean, was it a definitive 10-8 first? No. But three and a half minutes of control, 15 out of 16 significant strikes landed on the ground, three submission attempts. Usman landed three strikes. That's 10-8 waters for me, man. I, I scored a 10-8. Round two was close, Jake, but dude, gave it to I love you like a brother, but man, if you would have said that it was a draw and you thought Usman won two and three, I'd know you're crazy and you're wrong, but I can see how you came up with that. The fact that you think that Hamzat won every round 10-8 in the first one, you're the only guy that, that, that doesn't think that, that I've talked to that doesn't think was that it, Usman at least won round what two. Was you, what were you thinking in round two? Was it just because of the late takedown you didn't think Usman strikes did anything? Because that's the thing where I like when I go to 10-8... It's like Usman landed better strikes in round two than Hamzat did in round one. Like he just, I don't know. I just think that that's like, what was your, what, what was your reasoning for that? So because round two was such a close round, I like to score fights through the eyes of the judges. I don't necessarily go through what I always think because I can be biased. I like to go, what do I think those cage side judges are going to score this? Being it a super close round, being that the fight was in Abu Dhabi, I was like, those judges are going to view this round because of the crowd sway as a Hamzat round. So I gave it the edge to Hamzat. That was really my thought there. But it could have gone to Usman. Like people scoring the fight, 29, 27, 29, 28. Not a bad scorecard. So speaking of Abu Dhabi, and then we'll take a break after this, Johnny Walker went at it with Magomed Ankalaev. You had the illegal strike, right? Johnny Walker's kind of dancing around the octagon there for a minute. And then we have an English-speaking doctor ask a Brazilian fighter in Abu Dhabi what country he's in. How could this possibly go wrong? And then, of course, Johnny Walker kind of gives him like a, what? And they cancel the fight. And then Johnny Walker tried to fight everybody inside the octagon. Dude, that was one of the weird things that I've seen. Yeah, that was wild. Um, I don't really understand what the rush was with that doctor. That seemed very weird that... We were so uh, in a hurry to decide whether or not, because typically you do get what like five minutes on a on a foul. So sure. I I didn't get that at all. That was really weird. I I didn't quite uh, the questioning was weird. I didn't really understand. Like Johnny Walker seems like he speaks perfectly fine English, but I, I get him saying like, wait, what? What is the? Why are you asking me that? Why not? How many fingers am I holding up? I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I've never been a ringside doctor, but. It does feel like it was uh, it was handled hastily and poorly. It was a very um, interesting and weird fight card on Saturday night. With that, let's take a quick break. On the other side, let's keep talking about it with Maddie Betts right here on Tapped Out. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. on the Odyssey app. That's Brendan Tobin. I'm the sports machine, Sean Levine. Let's welcome in friend of the show. He is Matty Betts. You can follow him at Matty Betts with two S's. Man, last Saturday night, unbelievable fight. Islam kicked Volk in the head and knocked him out. Now that we're a few days removed from it, how surprised are you that that's the way that fight finished? So actually, I don't want to brag on air here, but that's the exact prediction I made. Really? that Islam would... I said Islam would land either a, a body shot or a head kick that would put Volk to the ground and TKO him on the ground. However, you want to hear the crazy part about this? I took it to happen in rounds two through five. Oh. <laughs> I had the long shot props. I'm telling you right now, I was devastated. You got to see the, the video reaction. I had so many people that tailed me on the knockout prop. It was like five to one. And everyone was DMing me so excited. And I'm like, how is it that I literally have two videos predicting the exact way the fight's going to end, and I don't even make a penny off it? I actually lost Brutal, it. Brutal, dude. I took, I took rounds two through five. It was like 25 to one all the way up to like 35, 40 to one. Basically a quarter unit sprinkle on every single round, all four of those rounds except the first one. So it was absolutely sickening. I, it took me like a day and a half to get over it. <laughs> So in that moment, are you proud of yourself or are you hoping Volkanovski can continue to get to the second round? I couldn't believe it. I was more, I was more stunned than anything. Like I just didn't see it happen in, in the first five minutes, you know, and I guess looking back on it, like hindsight's 2020, 20, I got greedy. Should have just took the knockout prop. Um, I really, really liked it. I just thought like to myself, like, Hey, you know, Islam's going to be fresher, more prepared, bigger, more hydrated this time. Volkanovski on short notice um and I was like this guy can't get submitted like Volkanovski I really believe he's unsubmittable so I was like there's two ways Islam can win it's by decision or by KO now, I did take the double chance bet um where I took the KO or decision so I won that bet but I missed on all four of the long shot props um just getting a little bit too greedy there yeah, Brian Ortega agrees with you, Matty Betts. He is unsubmittable <laughs> when it comes to Alexander Volkanovsky. So when it comes to Islam, if I said, all right, Matty, you can pick anybody on planet Earth. Just give me one guy that can beat Islam. Does that guy exist? At, at, at this weight class or, or at yeah. 170? <laughs> yeah, at this weight class. At or this at weight class, nah. Yeah, I don't know if he, I don't know if he exists in in either weight class. I mean, I've said it for the past year. I've always thought Islam striking has been super underrated. So like, I just don't think he has a weakness at the, at this stage of the game. Like, I I don't think he's a weakness anywhere. You know, so like, you just ha you have to find a lucky shot or find his chin. And if you can't do that, like, I just don't think you have a chance of beating him. So I would take him. 
I would take him against Leon or Colby. Matty, uh, going to the co-main event, uh, another one with a you know huge matchup between Hamzan and Kamaru. Kamaru taking this one on short notice. Uh, how did you bet that one? How did it play out uh, in the way that you bet it? Yeah, I lost that fight. I had so I had Hamzat, but I took him inside the distance. Um, I didn't think Kamara was going to be able to survive for three rounds on short notice. And then, you know, I know there's all that speculation if Hamzat got hurt or not after the first round. But man, Kamara's defense was tough on the ground. Like, I mean, you know, credit to Hamzat. He really tried to get him out of there in that first round. I took the round one finish, and then I took him inside the distance. So I, I lost both those bets. Um, but is what it is. I knew deep down, I was like, I knew Hamza could just outwork him and win a decision. And like, for whatever reason, I, I ignored it. It was like deep down in my gut. I was like, why am I doing this? But I just thought he was going to steamroll him in that first round. And then I knew if he didn't get him out of there in the first round, there was a legit chance he would just win a decision. But it was a closer so fight than a lot of people thought. That's what I was going to ask you. Coming out of that fight, are you more impressed with Hamza than you were going in? or maybe a little bit less because his wrestling was exactly like we thought it was going to be. I mean, in the first round, he just ragdolled him. But his striking, man, leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, and no, I agree. And I would love to know more about, I don't know if you guys have heard about the, the injury he had, if that, if that's legit or not. Did he break his hand or hurt his hand or something? But, yeah, no, I'm to answer your question, I'm definitely not more impressed. I don't think he's lost any stock, um, but – I'm definitely not more impressed with him. I, I thought he was going to get him out of there. Like he hasn't fought in over a year training. He's the bigger guy, guy coming in on short notice. Like I thought he was going to get him out of there and he couldn't get it done. What do you, uh, where do you think that Usman should go from here? You know, it's such a tough position because, you know, he obviously had a devastating, the head kick. Everybody knows it wasn't, he hasn't been blown out in these last couple of fights, but when you've reigned as long as he has, it's almost like, I don't know, like a Max Holloway type of situation. I don't really feel like he's got a home. Like, what, where do you think Kamaru Usman should go from here? I want to see him fight Robert Whitaker. That's what I'd love to That's see. That's a good fight. That would be a good fight. I would love to see that, that would... fight. I think it'd be a super even fight. You know, Whitaker has a takedown defense. I think Whitaker's obviously probably a little bit better of a striker on the feet. Um, but I think that Usman's tough and – I, I make that fight pretty close to a pick I think that'd be a great matchup. How do you think Hamza fares against Sean Strickland? I love Sean Strickland there in that fight. I really do. I think I think Sean's the most underrated guy in the game. Like I really do. Like he's constantly still like he, still he constantly gets disrespected. Well, I, so I took his money. It's funny because. When I came on your guys' show a while back, I remember you guys asked me, does Sean have any chance against Adesanya? And when you guys put me on the spot like that, I was like, no, I don't think he does. And then I ended up going on record and betting Sean Moneyline in that fight, making multiple prediction videos. I had one video that got like 1.5 million views. Every person on earth told me I was the stupidest casual fan in the world. And I'm telling you, I spent two hours going back to every single comment on that video <laughs> after the fight. Um, but no, and the thing is, is that just show, that just goes to show like you have to bet value in MMA because I bet on Sean and I didn't think he was going to win. I bet on him because he was plus 500. I looked at the numbers. I looked at who these guys have fought. And it's like there's no scenario where he should have been a five to one underdog. It should have been closer to plus 200. Just, just looking at everything, I was like, I have to take him. I have no choice, and I literally made a video stating that. Um, and yeah, I think Sean, I think Sean, he gets out of that first round. I don't think it's even competitive after that. I really don't. I like Sean in that fight. I would take him at anything over plus two hundred for sure. I know he's going to be, he's probably going to be a three to one dog in that fight, maybe a little bit less. Love but it. I love him as an underdog there. Do you uh do you agree with his take this week that Hamza doesn't really deserve a title shot by just beating a you know short notice welterweight? Yeah, I mean he doesn't deserve he doesn't deserve it, but it's the fight game, it's business. I mean, you got DC the other day saying that Islam should fight Conor McGregor now. So like you know how this industry is. Like <laughs> I mean, it, no one really deserves anything, but at the same time if you have hype behind you and you can make the, the if you can make the USC money, then it is what it is. That's what's going to happen. So, uh, but no, I agree with him. I don't think he quote unquote deserves it. 
talking fighting and making a little money with Matty Betts here on Tapped Out. The big news, the breaking news in the world of MMA, John Jones' fight is off against Stipe Miocic. Now we have Pavlovich versus Aspinall. Before we get into the new matchup, do you think that we see John Jones and or Stipe ever again inside the octagon? I don't know the answer to that. I think Stipe maybe at least once more. I don't know why John, what John has to prove. I think he's going to be out like, did he say eight months or something? Eight months, yep. I mean, that's Every a age, long yeah. time. You know, I guess, you know, and I, I don't know if they've commented on, because a lot of people are like, well, why didn't Stipe just, you know, keep the fight and take on one of, one of like Aspinall or Pavlovich? But I guess the thought process behind that is they're literally still saving that fight and they still think it's going to happen. But if you're Stipe and you're being told that, you now have a lot of time to prepare um, while John's recovering from 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 that injury. So I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Do we think it's that, though? Or do we think that Stipe said, screw it, I'll fight John because that adds to my legacy. This guy Pavlovich is scary, and Aspinall might be the best heavyweight on planet Earth. I think Stipe just said, I'll fight John, but if it's not John, I'm not going to fight. Yeah. No, I mean, it might just be one of those risk versus reward things of, like, you put John Jones on your resume and win – you're definitely like the, the goat, the heavyweight goat, right? But like, if you go out and lose to Pavovich, now what, right? Um, and That's I've nice. always thought Aspinall's. I thought Aspinall. I've always been on record saying Aspinall's the. I think he's the best in the world, but I'm still nervous about him. I would still bet on him in this fight at like a pick'em. I would take him, but man, anybody can lose that first round to Pavovich. It's scary. And like Aspinall keeps his chin up in the air every now and then when he's coming forward. So I don't know if he doesn't get a takedown, it, it could be good night for him. <laughs> yeah, I think the or the early leans right now are I think it's Aspinall like minus one thirty five, Pavlovich is plus one fourteen. Dude, I saw him knock out tied to Ivasa cage side. He's the scariest Russian I've ever seen in my life. Um, I you know he peruses around here in, in South Florida just with his with his fancy shirts, uh, not you know <laughs> trying trying to look all. Trying to look all relaxed when you know he could just maul anybody, Maddie. I, I with you. I think like Sean's also been a big Aspinall guy. We've had Love him on that. the show. He's a cool dude. The, Pavlovich is so scary, dude. If I got him as a dog, there's no way I wouldn't bet him. Yeah, no. So I, I made the fight minus one twenty plus one hundred five ish, right? Like I thought Aspinall should be a slight favorite, but man, the more you look at that dog number, you're just like. I get that huge Russian at plus 115. It's like, it's crazy to think about. But I'll tell you what, though, I still believe Aspinall is the more well rounded guy. Um, and I mean, he has some really impressive wins, too. I mean, that submission win over Volkov, the Tybora fight, like, he is really, really good, man. So I just wonder if his pride and ego is going to be to his detriment here and if he just tries to stand and strike with him. And we saw what Curtis Blades did. And I had a. Uh, I had Pavlovich round two knockout in that fight because the jump, everyone knew the round one knockout was probably coming. So the value bet and the jump up in odds taking the round two versus the round one was a massive leap. So I took the round two thinking like, all right, maybe Curtis Blades is smart here, gets a, a takedown or two in that first round. The first five minutes passes and then he gets slept. But nope, Curtis Blades comes in and tries striking with him the entire first round. So I'd like to think Aspinall won't do that, but you just never know, man. You just never know with these guys. And I'm glad you keep pointing out the value bets, Matty Bets, because in our sport, like mixed martial arts, sometimes you have to look at the numbers more so than the name. You have to look and go, if I'm going to get four to one on that guy, then I have to bet it. All right, Aspinall and Pavlovich is actually the co-main event for UFC 295. Before you get out of here, which way you bet in the main yep. event that night, Pereira versus Prohaska? Yeah, I love Alex Pereira in that fight. So I locked him in early, uh, about a month ago, a month or so ago. Um, I got him as a small favorite. I don't remember the exact number, but I know that – I think it was close to a pick-up. Uh, I couldn't believe it. I honestly couldn't believe it. I think now he's ballooned up some. Do you know what the, the current number is? I think it was like oh. – I think he's past minus 150 now or so. Um but no, I like Pereira in that Yeah, to be at minus 150 for Pereira, plus 125 for Yuri. Gotcha, yeah. Yeah, I got I got Alex closer to a pick Um, and I couldn't believe when that number came out. Um, just with just, just coming off the surgery and everything, and Alex super active, and then you see Alex's progression in MMA. Like, 
the guy noticeably gets better every single fight. Um, so I couldn't believe it. Like if you're going to, if, if someone tells you like, Hey, you get Alex Pereira to pick him against another striker. I think you're going to take it every single time. Like if it's an elite grappler, you're going to think twice about it, but I thought it was a no brainer. Hopefully it's not a trap. <laughs> it's not a trap. I like it too. Great stuff today, man. Lots of you great like insight and numbers. Sorry you got screwed on that one bet. I would still be losing sleep <laughs> over that. He is Matty Betts. You can follow him at Matty Betts with two S's. We'll catch up soon, my friend. Thanks, guys. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. into the cage with Brendan Tobin in Are You Gonna Fight Me? I'm gonna fight your ass! Here on Tapped Out. That's right, fight me like a man! Only on the BetQL Network. You know the rules. I want a good, clean fight. When I tell you to break, I want you to step back out my command and break. Now go back to the corner and come out fighting at the bell. What's good? Welcome back to the Tapped Out here on the BetQL Network. Maybe you're checking us out on YouTube, Odyssey app, however you got us. Much love right back at you. Brendan Tobin and myself, the sports machine, Sean Levine, about to fight each other. BT, if this is it for Stephen Miocic, are you going to fight me if I say, I don't think he's the heavyweight GOAT? I think that goes to either Fedor or probably talking to Cain Velasquez. Are you going to fight me? Uh, I mean, he's got a lot of great credentials on that man. I mean, you know, first off, just redeeming the belt. I think he's beaten everybody he's basically been in there with. Um, you know, has kind of crossed over eras as well. So I, I think he's got a hell of an argument, man. I mean, the, you think about how much and how long he has been atop that organization, has beaten eras of top guys coming after him, you know, avenged losses. I, I mean, Fedor thing is, is awesome. And yes, you know, it goes back. It's kind of one of those OGs. It's always tough to kind of dethrone those guys who are always going to be uh, etched in there. But I mean, Stipe is Stipe has done everything that really is to do. I mean, this was going to be, I think if it, it's disappointing, we're not getting the John Jones fight. Cause that was almost like, is he going to go down? Not only as one of the all time heavy heavyweight greats, is he going to go down as one of the all time great greats? If he was uh, able to beat uh, John Jones. So that's one of the more disappointing things about not being able to get this bout. And if anything, I think a win versus John Jones would have cemented him as the greatest heavyweight of all time. And if they don't fight or if they don't fight for a while, now we've got differing opinions. All right, now on the John Jones side of things, you're going to fight me if I say history is going to remember John Jones as much inside the octagon, unfortunately, as outside the octagon. 
Uh, yeah, it, it's impossible. I'm not going to fight you on that. It's impossible not to tell the John Jones story without talking about all the baggage that was brought. And it's interesting. It's like he's had so many run-ins and trip-ups in his career. It's interesting that injuries never really been one of them. And so it's important because this is something where he is doing the right things. He is training to get ready for a fight. And it's just, it kind of adds on top of it with uh with all the other stuff as well because it's like how many times do we have a john jones fight it's the most anticipated fight and then just something happens and i think that's just the unfortunate thing with the uh, the career is like as great as it is and it is great it always is going to have this feeling like could it have been better could there have been another level he would have gone to or did it all fall in, in line the right way is this just what the journey was supposed to be with him because his recklessness, his um, persona, that all kind of added to the aura and the greatness. The crazy thing about John BT is, if you look back at it, about a third of his career, he will have been outside the octagon, whether it was taking time off, whether it was legal troubles, whatever, suspensions, whatever it was, almost a third of his fighting career was outside of the octagon. So if I ask you right now, what's the moment? When you think of John Jones, let's say this is it for him. Let's say he doesn't come back. What's the in octagon moment you think of John Jones? I mean, so many, man. I mean, you know, the standing guillotine, you know, beating Vitor Belfort with him, uh, you know, on him on his arm like a pork chop. You know, the DC rivalry is always going to be one, and it's that's kind of in and out because you'll have the brawl, but then you'll also have him beating him with the head kick. Um, you know, so he has he has so many signature great moments. I mean, the Alexander Gustafsson fight, being able to to dig deep in that fight. Some people still even think that he lost that fight. Uh, it was that close. It was that good. One of the best championship fights of all time. So that's the element. Like he has so many iconic moments that he built up all that goodwill because this guy's one of the best to ever do it. We never see anybody like it. We talk about a sport where most of these guys are hitting their prime about 29 about 30 this guy was champ 21 years old i mean it's it, it it's incredible what he was able to do youngest champion of all time by the way you didn't ask i do think that he lost the first gustison fight but really neither here nor there um the last pay-per-view of the year 296 the main event colby covington versus leon edwards right now it's pretty close to a pick em. leon's a little bit of a favorite to bet mgm you're gonna fight me if i say by the time that fight goes off i think colby's gonna be the favorite yeah, not going to fight you just because, you know, it's it's trending that way. And typically, we talk about this on the show a lot. A lot of the times, the guy who seems like he's got the big grappling advantage is going to get the nod just because it's easier to win decisions when you have a grappling advantage. You know, when you have control on top, you look back at the Hamzat fight this past week. Um, but it's... Uh, if you look back at the Hamzat fight, like those rounds where you're on control and you're not necessarily doing heavy damage but you have a guy down uh, which is not necessarily how colby wrestles but just in the mind of odds makers uh you're going to usually be favored in in odds if, if it's looked upon as a pretty even fight just because you have more paths to to score rounds and score win and score points so at ufc 294 we were supposed to get paulo costa and hamza chimaev paulo costa out due to injury and it was nasty some sort of a staph infection but he still got into a fight at 294 that's just what he does you're gonna fight me if i say that guy's a gatekeeper he's never gonna be champion uh i'm gonna fight and you on good. just because he's good i'll tell you what champion here's why i'll fight you on it people said that about sean strickland and sean strickland's champion i mean i think everybody kind of looked at sean strickland and say that guy was a gatekeeper he's never going to be anything more than a guy who you know kind of grabs some attention to a card but you know, Paolo Costa is very explosive. Um, doesn't quite seem as disciplined as Sean Strickland. You know, it, it seems like he likes to kind of live life a little loose on the outside of the cage. So that may hinder him. But I think after Sean Strickland won the belt, I think uh, it's it's tough to write anybody of high ranking off because the sport is crazy. Over under for Sean Strickland title defenses one. I think it's over. I mean, I I really do. I think that he's got a tough style to figure out. You know, 
the 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 you know the, even the Hamzat matchup. Like I think Sean Strickland's got so many tough things to figure out. He's so good at fighting, um, and I, I especially think with Hamzat, like the questioning with the striking against uh, Kamar Usman, and we saw this against Gilbert Burns. Um, I think Sean Strickland's going to present him some problems. I'm going to have to probably see what the odds are once that fight comes out to see where I'm going to lean on on my money, but. I, th- I definitely think Sean can present some problems. And Hamza could knock you out, just ask Gerald Mearshart. But he also just kind of swings loose in his boxing, definitely. He needs to talk to your boy, Diet Davis, is what he needs. Like, he needs a few lessons. Yeah, I just think with, with Sean, you know, Sean has such a unique style. Um, now, look, yeah, Hamza may just be a murderer. Like, he may be a guy who's just going to be able to go out there and ragdoll everybody. I think, like seeing what he was able to do against Kamaro was like, whoa, I haven't seen anybody feel like they're that dominant. And, and it's also because of the person who was against and thinking like it looks inevitable for him to get a takedown. Like it's the closest to Khabib we've seen since Khabib as far as that's concerned. But I also think that the striking game, like it didn't really look close and you're not talking about necessarily the greatest striker in Kamaru Usman. He's good. He does not, he's not a bad striker, but it's not like I don't think anybody would have gone and say, "Oh, where are the big advantages here?" You probably would have gone into that fight saying, "Even on grappling, if I'm going to give somebody a nod, probably come uh, Hamzat on power." And it's kind of the opposite; like the gulf was bigger in the grappling than it was in the striking. No doubt. When it comes to Sean Strickland, though, do we think that he just had his best fight that Saturday night against Israel Adesanya, or do we think that he's maybe taking his game up to another level because? He was a striking machine. I mean, everything that he threw, he hit that night. It's such an interesting question with him because he's such a tough guy to read. Uh, he seems to keep things so uh, he, he seems to keep things so real. But um, I mean, you, when you win the fight, everybody counted you out of. What does that do for your confidence? What does that do for anybody else you're in there with? So for me, I'm looking at it from the standpoint of uh, I'm looking at it from the standpoint of like does this guy get better now that he knows he can do it? Or is he now going to be in there with all the sharks and eventually somebody's going to get him? I think most people are looking at this and saying, Sean Strickland being a one hit wonder is probably more likely, but I don't know, man. I mean, I think when you make Israel Adesanya look the way that he did, and that guy's reigned over the division, as long as he has, even if you think he's a little bit long in the tooth, I just got, you got to think like, all right, he's got a shot pretty much against anybody. That was one of the more surprising results that I can ever remember. Not that Strickland won the fight, even though he's a big underdog, that he dominated the fight, right? That he basically won almost every minute of every round. He was unbelievable that night. So this date a year ago, speaking of guys named Sean, Sean O'Malley was not the champion. Aljamain Sterling was, Piotr Jan was the number one contender. And since then, O'Malley's beat both those guys. You're going to fight me if I say at this point, the hype is real when it comes to Sean O'Malley. No more questions. Can't fight you on that one, man, because, uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll face the repercussions of the Sugar Show if that happens. But no, man, he's actually uh, he he has proven everything. I think he's had his moment. Um, I honestly have more questions about his reign than Strickland just because I think that division is so dangerous. It's not really a question of Sean O'Malley's talent. I just think that there's a ton of guys you could slip up against in that division. It just feels like he's about to start. A, a murderer's row of a ton of guys. Whereas middleweight, like, look, Izzy has come out and he said, I'm going to be out for a while. Robert Whitaker, I can see Sean Strickland taking out a, an older Robert Whitaker, a guy who's been around for a little bit. Um, Hamzat's obviously the big wild card because maybe it's going to be, you know, him dominating for a little bit. You know, Marvin Vittori, I, I think that, you know, these are, these are questions. I, I don't know. I just think that with Sean uh, O'Malley, it feels like, hey, man, that, Every t- fight he's going to fight at 135 feels like it could be really, really dangerous and, and ability for him to lose the belt. I love that division so much. Um, speaking of old guys, at UFC 296, El Kikui is back. Tony Ferguson fights Patty Pym. But the more I think about it, you're going to fight me if I say, I think El Kikui might get him. Yeah, I'm going to fight you, dude. Like, I mean, like, look, I love Tony Ferguson. Like, He's great. Patty certainly has his questions, but Patty's young and hungry and Patty's dangerous and has, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to put this one as the one like, look, Tony's had his moments, but I think the thing that's unfortunate, this guy went from one of the most 
feared guys, unorthodox guys to a guy that we just go and be like, oh, yeah, you remember that moment in that fight, how he kind of looked? So I got to see it. I got to see him get over the finish line before I'm going to put my money on him. Uh, before we get out of here and stop fighting and move on to the next segment, the Eagles and the Dolphins win at it on Sunday night football, and the Eagles win. You're going to fight me if I say at this point it's pretty clear that Philly's a better team than Miami. I mean, I, I have to give them the nod, especially with the trenches, man. They were just so impressive. Um, I thought that they looked uh, I thought they looked really, really fierce up front. Now, the Dolphins did have a lot of injuries on their offensive line. Um and are getting a lot of reinforcements back. But yeah, man, like they look like the team that's been there, done that. The Dolphins now in a couple of uh, big-time matchups have shot themselves in the foot. And uh, when you do that against good teams, you got to be able to uh, you got to be able to 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 get get things uh, clean, especially on the road. So Dolphins are definitely a team that has some maturity left, but I, I don't think they're frauds. I think they are legitimately good and have a whole season to kind of round things out. Quick, are these the three best teams in the NFL? My Chiefs. Jake's Eagles, your Dolphins. I think that's true. Good times. Good times. Stay right here. It's tapped out on the BetQL Network. back with more tapped out with brendan tobin and sean levine on the betql network tapped out on the betql network on youtube on the odyssey app that's brendan i'm sean we've got a bunch of fights coming up ufc 295 has been put in a blender and shaking up all sorts of ways we'll talk about that we'll talk about ufc sao paulo but before that, on Saturday night, Francis Ngannou, the Predator, is a plus 750 underdog. What? Who's he fighting? Well, he's boxing against Tyson Fury. To win $100 that night, BT, you have to pay 1400 Right now, minus 1400 are the odds for Tyson Fury to win that fight. Before we start to break it down a little bit, be real with me. What's your level of excitement for this one? Uh, somewhere between Goosey's Galore to Goosey's on top of Goosey's. I can't wait for this Ooh, fight. I'm so excited. Really? I cannot wait. I'm super excited for it. I don't know if it's because it's on my birthday. I don't know why, but like, dude, it's such a spectacle. And you know, I don't like, I'm so off the YouTube athletes boxing. I don't want, this is cool. It's a cool spectacle. You're talking about the, uh, the UFC champion right now. He's the only one walking the earth. Who's, uh, who's actively fighting. 
and the the baddest boxing heavyweight champion in the world gonna step into a boxing ring together i love it it's gonna be a cool spectacle i'm very excited i know it's not gonna be very competitive tyson fury is gonna be amazing but i can't wait to see francigano try and drop a bomb on him fail probably get knocked down uh i I, and, and there's a part of me that's just happy for francis because you know the the promotion talks so much bleep about him and it's kind of a karmatic thing that like He's getting this monster payday this week, the same week that the UFC heavyweight championship gets blown up. So it's kind of like good for Francis. I'm just happy for him, and I can't wait to see the walkouts and all that stuff. I'm excited about it. Yeah, Francis probably won't say it, but this really is kind of screwing Dana. Like, he goes out there, and he gets his big stage against Tyson Fury the same week that John Jones and Stipe Miocic gets pulled off the UFC 295 card. You said you think you know how, you know how it goes down, that Francis is going to come out there and swing wild and then eventually go down. Do you think he gets knocked out in this fight? Probably. Probably. Really? I just imagine. So, so on Saturday yeah. night, if I tune in, I'm going to see Francis and Ganu get knocked out, you think? You got my money. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to see him get, like, slept, but I think that, yeah, he'll probably get to a point where, like, similar to Floyd versus Connor, like, I think he'll probably get busted up against the, the, the ropes and uh, a ref will step in and, and stop it. I think that's probably the most likely uh, direction it goes. Floyd versus Connor, though, we all know what was going on, right? Floyd could have won that fight at any point. Connor was probably a little bit more impressive of a boxer, more unique style of a boxer than I think the general public, and including myself, expected. But frankly, we all know that Connor didn't really last that long. Floyd let him. Do we expect the same thing in the Ngannou Fury fight? Yeah, I think it probably, I, I don't know how long it'll be carried. Uh, you know, because it's a couple things like one Francis is, he's very muscular, you know, how tired is he going to be from trying to throw bombs at Tyson? Tyson's a lot bigger than him too. I mean, the difference between Floyd and Connor is, you know, Connor had the size advantage that, you know, and as crazy as this may be to a lot of our UFC audience, Francis doesn't have the size advantage here. And I know in every other fight you've ever seen him in, he's had the size advantage. The crazy thing about Tyson Fury is, he is a giant. He moves better than anybody else. And he's also become, as he's gotten on in his career, better at carrying his weight, using his weight against opponents. Um, so he's just a very, very dangerous guy. The only thing I can say about Tyson is in heavyweight boxing, he has gotten got. Like he has been put on the canvas before. Um, not knocked out, but you know, even Steve Cunningham back in the day as a, as a cruiserweight put him on the case. So, you know, if, if one hits that sweet spot, I think Francis, uh, maybe there's a crazy world where Francis puts him down for a second, but I just don't think it's going to be enough to knock him out or anything like that. Of course, Deontay Wilder did too. I'd be shocked if that happened. I would be stunned if at any point we see Tyson Fury on his ass with Francis and God who's standing above him. I'd be stunned. I also oh, it'd be amazing, take up my own question. I don't think that it goes nearly as how long did Floyd and Connor go? Seven? Is that right? Six, think, seven? It went a while. I, think, I want to say nine. Did it go nine? Wow. I don't think this one goes as long because I think Fury understands the power that Nganu has. As much fun as it is and expecting all that, let's not pretend like Francis Nganu couldn't knock him out. And Tyson Fury knows that. So I don't think he messes around. If you maybe pick a round, I, give me Tyson in three. Yeah, I think it'll be something like I would say like four or five. I'm not I'm not far off from you. I just think that it's gonna be I'm just curious to see what Francis is gonna be like with having to, you know, the cardio of it, how he's been training for it. I know a lot of people made fun of his pad session. And yeah, he's not he shouldn't go into this trying to outbox one of the best boxers on the planet. That's a terrible idea. Go in there, throw some bombs, see if you could uh do something maybe and and the one thing i'll say with tyson fury is he'll play around in fights every now and then so could we have like an anderson silva moment where like he just played a little too much maybe i don't know it's uh it's not likely it's very unlikely it's probably impossible but i am very excited for it probably irrationally excited for it and i can't wait honestly the more you talk the more you're getting me excited for it like do we really think there could be a weidman silva moment do we really think that Ngannou could get knocked out? All right, fine. I'll be in front of my TV watching it. Um, speaking of big boys going at it, or in this case, not going at it anymore, the big news, John Jones' fight is off at UFC 295. 
against Stipe Miocic. The new fight for the interim heavyweight title is my guy Tom Aspinall versus Sergey Pavlovich. Before we talk about that fight, first when it comes to John Jones and Stipe Miocic, I know you and I have been on record a few times saying we thought both guys in all likelihood would retire after this fight. Now that they're not fighting, what happens? Like, is there a chance we don't see Stipe or John ever fight in the UFC again? I mean, you have to put it out there, man. I mean, like, the, first of all, it's a that's a pretty brutal injury that John suffered, like a, a torn pec tendon off of the bone. Like, that's that's not great. John's, John's 36. Yeah, John's 36. He'll turn 37 next year. Um, and Stipe's you know, 40. So if he has to wait Stipe, for that fight, it'd make him 41. Right. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I don't also really know what John is going to hold on for other than that fight. Um, unless he's just thinking, oh, man, this is the last massive payday I'm going to get. Um, but, you know, UFC 300, that'd be what, like April? So he's not going to make that. International Fight Week, I suppose, is in the eight month vicinity for him. So that's always that. I mean, that's always a cool one. But yeah, man, I, I definitely think it's it's on the table for sure that this could be the end for John Jones. We can't rule it out for his age, for what it's like. I mean, think about this: when John doesn't have fighting, it's always a risk that that guy is going to go off the rails. And so, and you don't wish that on anybody, but like he needs it. Um. With Stipe, it's yes, it's just with Stipe, it's just age. But it's like I almost worry if you had to ask me, hey, who do you think is more likely to fight ever again in their career? I'd actually go Stipe, even the age, just because. Yeah, if you ever called Stipe up and he was in the mood to fight, he'd fight. But it's just with John, there's so many other variables, and now also add injury on top of it. I'll have to disagree with that last point that you made, though, because why isn't Stipe fighting right now? I mean, John Jones pulled up this card, not Stipe. Why is Stipe not fighting Tom Aspinall or Sergey Pavlovich? It doesn't make sense. I think it's because Stipe's legacy does mean a lot to him. And I think that why do I have to fight some young killer? I just watched two iconic fighters go down last weekend. What am I going to get out of this? Am I going to get any extra business out of this? It, and possibly lose a potential John Jones fight. I don't blame Stipe for not stepping up and staying on the card. I actually think that if you told me, what am I more excited? I, I kind of like the young guns going at it more so than would I like to see them against Stipe. I've seen that. I've seen Stipe against Francis Ngannou and, uh, you know, multiple times. Like I, I'm, I'm in the, you know what? Let's just scrap this historic fight for now. Put it on the shelf. Have the young guys go at it. Cause we don't get a lot of these shots where it's like, this fight has historical meaning. the the goat against possibly the heavyweight goat going at it. Let's let's shelve it. Let's just keep it in in a in a time capsule and hopefully in you know and maybe a year's time we'll get it again. And we went from the guys on their way out in the case of John Jones and Stipe Miocic to kind of some new blood with Tom Aspinall and Sergey Pavlovich. Now that we've got that fight, looking forward to it. Who do you think wins? You know I'm on Team Aspinall. Yeah, I know. It's such a tough pick because Aspinall is great. He's great. He's a buzzsaw. Probably would already be champion if he didn't get his, his knee injured or at least very, very close to it. Um, but he, he dices everybody up. He doesn't really seem to have a weakness. And then Pavlovich is maybe one of the scariest fighters I've ever seen live. It's such a tough call. I might just go with the dog on that night. Right now, it's Pavlovich. Maybe that swings. It's a pretty close line right now. I think it's like plus one thirty-five or something like that. You know, so I I could be sway if you if you told me on fight night, hey, Al Aspinall's the dog. All right, I might put my money on him because these guys seem evenly matched. I I I it's a tough call, man. If you had to have me pick, I'm betting Pavlovich right now, but I don't feel great about it. Of course, it's a five-round fight for the interim title. I'll tell you this much right now. That thing ain't going five. Whoever wins, no that way. thing is not going the distance. All right, we've got a couple of minutes left. Let's talk about UFC Sao Paulo main event a couple of weeks away. Jalton Almeida, that guy is a killer. But is he a minus 500 good against Derek Lewis plus 380? You know that I had sold the Black Beast right down the river. But now I think I'm back on him. You're going to give me four to one on Derek Lewis, dude? I'll take it. 
Uh, look, he's he is. There's nobody who's ever been more the epitome of he always has a puncher's chance because it's literally what he has. No matter the time in a fight, no matter if he's getting beat on, he always has a puncher's chance. A uh, little bit of a last minute fight, but not too short notice. You think Derek Lewis, especially Derek Lewis, has been in much better shape. Uh, he's been keeping himself in good shape. So, yeah, he, he's looked really, really good. But, man, Almeida's just looked like a buzzsaw, man. And I just think with the, – the interesting thing with, with Derek is he's been somewhere between a gatekeeper and a contender. Like, he's – every time you want to just throw him as gatekeeper, he's just here to hype up guys. Then he does something that makes you think, like, ah, maybe he can go on another run. Um but I don't know. I think I'm sticking with Almeida. Almeida's a beast, and uh, I feel like he can give uh, Fran- uh, he can give Derek a lot of fits all over the place. Yeah, very tied to Ivasa-ish with his career, Derek Lewis has been recently. Like, when he's good, he's great, but also he loses, and he loses two or three in a row, and then you have to ask questions. All right, before we wrap up the show, the main event for 295, now that it's not going to be John Jones versus Steve Miocic, is Alex Pereira versus Yuri Prohoshka. Right now, Pereira is a slight favorite. I think I like Yuri in that fight. What say you? Yeah, this is another one that's tough because the thing I have to worry about with Yuri is the health. Like I, you know, having a, a devastating shoulder injury that he's coming back from, how confident is he? Because he's such a free and loose fighter. Like he uses his movement, he's very unorthodox. And then you have this hammer that's coming back at him the other way, who's just such a devastating knockout artist in Alex Pajeda. Um I think I'm leaning Pajeda in that one just because I have so many questions about what Yuri is going to look like coming back from the shoulder injury. And so I think I just like the security of knowing you have an Alex Pajeda who's coming in with uh, with not having to, to rehab stuff and has the full confidence of his skill set. I think he's been pretty confident in how he's looked at this weight class. So uh, I like Pajeda. We'll break this whole card down more on the next show next week. We'll also, of course, talk about UFC Sao Paulo's main event, Gilton Almeida versus Derek Lewis. Thanks to Maddie Betts. Thank you to my producer, Jake Noaker, and for my co-host, Brendan Tobin. I'm the sports machine, Sean Levine, and we'll catch you right here next week on Tap